This Torah class is brought to you by TorahAnytime.com. So, before we get into Shavuos, so this past, um, this past Shabbos, well, before we get into past Shabbos, I'll tell you what happened last night. So last night, I'm sitting in my car after my boy's share. My boy's share ended about 12.15. We died eh, about, let's say around, I spoke to this boy, that boy, at 1 o'clock. At 1 o'clock, I'm sitting in the car. <coughs> and this boy said he wants to talk to me after the share. So he gets into the car with me. And he starts telling me about his life and how he comes from a very dysfunctional family and everything that he went through in his life. And he's struggling and he just doesn't think he can go on. So we're sitting in the car, and I want to give him chizik. And I'm, I'm in the car, the car's running, and I'm sitting in the driver's side, he's sitting on the passenger's side. So between us is the mirror. Like when you drive, there's a mirror in front of you. So I said to him, I said, this just came from I don't know where. I said, why do you think that the windshield, right, the front glass, thank you, that the windshield is much bigger than the mirror? The mirror is just a little piece of glass, right? Just a little mirror. And the windshield is a huge piece of glass. I said, because when you go forward, right? When you go forward, you don't need a mirror. You need a mirror when you're backing up, when, you, when you're going backwards. When you're going backwards, you look into the mirror, you see what's behind you. I said, when you're going forward, you have to look into the windshield to see what's in front of you. I said, I think that your mirror is your windshield. You have a huge windshield that's made out of mirror. And all you see when you try to look forward is what happened to you in the past. And you can't go anywhere. So I said, the reason we created cars like that is because a car goes forward most of the time, right? So it goes forward, you have a big windshield. But if you're going to try to drive forward by looking in your mirror, you're going to crash into everything. Because <coughs> what's behind you, you passed already. If you're going forward, you have to see what's in front of you, not what's behind you. So I told him that he has to remember this marshal. And that a person who tries to go forward by looking in his mirror is not going to be able to go anywhere. You have to go look forward and look in your windshield. Uh, you have to look at your potential. It's a little tickle. I'm allergic to something back there. Maybe those flowers. So... Um, so, Tachlis is, yes, you, you do need a Jew who <coughs> learns from his past, but he doesn't live in his past. Go and go to the bar, they sit around the bar. Oh man, when we were young, in the 1960s, you remember this, you remember that, you remember that? And they drink, and they drink, and they drink, and they get drunk. They don't, they don't, they don't look at the future. The, no, I didn't mean, Malka, I didn't mean you should take out the trees. That's not, I don't know what, it, I just, I just having an allergy attack. I don't think it's that. It's not that. It might be Nechama's poem. I don't know. Okay, I'm kidding. No, I, don't take that out. Leave it alone. I'm around flowers the whole day today. It's just, it's called the Yitzhahara allergy attack so you can't give a shear. Don't worry about it. Um, actually, her teacher poem, I just get all coughed up. I get all emotional and that's why. But I'm settling down Nechama right now. I'm, I'm getting back to this. So the important thing is that people live in their past. You can't live in your past. Because if you live in your past, then the mirror's in front of you. You can't see what's ahead of you. So yes, you need the mirror once in a while. You need to look in the mirror to see what's behind you. But if you're going to live in that, if that's going to be your windshield, you're going to crack into everything. I think 
Because that might be one of the biggest problems today. Is because everything that we went through, that's what we're dealing with all the time. That's what we're looking at all the time. So we can't see what's in front of us. We're so busy with what's behind us, we can't get anywhere. I said to this kid, you so are living in your past, you can't go forward. You, you, you're trying to drive forward. Try it tonight. Don't try it, but try it tonight, right? Try to get into your car and try to drive down the street without looking in the windshield, only looking in your mirror. <laughs> There's no way. There's no way. Only when you're backing up. When you're going backwards, it's when you look in your mirror. When you're going forward, you look in your windshield. I think it's a brilliant uh, muscle. Maybe it's not. I don't know, but it just uh, came out came on the spot. He liked it. I liked it. If you don't like it, okay, it's fine. You don't have to like it, but I like it. I think it's a very good muscle. If you don't drive, you don't understand what I'm saying. But if you do drive, try. I, I, go outside. Try to drive forward with just looking in your mirror. A lot of us do that. We're so busy with what we went through that, that we can't go forward. So yes, you, you have to learn from your past, but you cannot live in your past. Jews learn from our past. We learn from our Ramabino, Yitzhak, and Yaakov. We don't live in our past. We don't sit in a bar and talk about the way it used to be. Right? We talk about the way it's going to be. Many times my father used to say, in the Heim, in Europe, whatever it is. I'm like, Zaydi, we're not in the Heim. We, we gotta, we have electricity. You know? We got, we got to take the Torah and we got to make it alive. We got to make it into, you know, in our times. Part of the problem in teaching is that you can't teach, like, right? I'm teaching Gomorrah. It's called Elimitzi. It talks about somebody walking in the street and he finds, he finds tongues, Solution, tongues of purple wool. So I'm teaching my kids, like, in Yeshiva, like, come on, Rebbe. The last time you went into Avenue Jane, you found purple wool laying on the floor. Or strings of fish. Or slabs of meat. Right? It doesn't exist today. So <clears throat> that's what the mission said, but you have to explain to them that, you know how law works? I, I have a few Talmudim that are lawyers. So they don't, they didn't write, there's no more new law. They don't write new law. Very unusual. Supreme Court's not writing much new law. What do they do? Let's say you have a case. James against, James against Robert, right? Now they have a certain case that went on. So the lawyers have to look at a case that happened in the 1800s or whenever it happened. Find the way that case was Paskin. Show the similarities of that case to their case and say, this case is like that case. That case, the judge is posking like this. And that's why lawyers have to work till very late at night because they have to go through thousands of law books, of law journals to find a case that matches their case so they can be a proof that it was already posking like that. So in the Gemara, the purple wool is very, is very nice, but that's not what's happening today. So we turn it into something that's interesting. These, this guy, was going down, you know, went to a baseball game and he's sitting in Yankee Stadium and he puts his hand under his chair and, and he, and he finds something, a piece of, uh, a round, a diamond. Does he have to call it out? Does he have to go to the main speaker in the Yankee Stadium that they should announce whoever lost, lost something? Right, cause he can't say a diamond, everyone's right, gonna say. Or, since it was a whole baseball game already, he's already, it's his seat, so it's already a game, they missed it. So for sure the guy was me, I'm sure he gave up. He's not coming back to a baseball game looking for the diamond. Oh, oh Rebbe, I don't you know. What, all these different cases, you have to make it, Torah has to become alive. One of the greatest cases that, that is this rabbi that comes to my class, that used to come to my class, from Eretz Stroh, who was a very big dying. And, but a dying, a judge. Now, it's a very interesting, um, there are three judges on this, on this Besdin, and one is a Smarty, one is Hasidish, and one is Litvish. So all different people are represented. The three of them. You have three because that way you can't have a split. You can't have two against two. It's so someone's going to win, right? So he said. So he comes to my class and he told he tells my class stories 
that have to do with the Gemara about giving up hope and das and what you're thinking, right? So, um, what's the what's story like this? I give a kid in my class a dollar. I say, go down to the soda machine, get Rebbe a Coke. Give me a Coke, it's a dollar. He goes down to the soda machine, he puts in a dollar, two Cokes come out. Who does the second Coke belong to? And the guy in the machine, the guy, the person in the machine who owns the machine, he's, he make, he's, he makes it hefker. Why? Because the only reason two sodas came out is because some other guy put a dollar in and left. So he didn't lose anything, right? So he doesn't want the dollar back, right? So, or you're sitting at the beach, wherever you're sitting, in a, in a, at a game or in a subway station, and you tell your friend, do me a favor, go to that Coke machine over there against the wall, right? And get me a soda. She puts the dollar in, two sodas come out. Now, who owns that so- the second soda? So, the person who gave her the dollar to get the soda can say, if I didn't give you the dollar, you wouldn't have gotten any sodas. So you definitely wouldn't have gotten two sodas. So they're both mine. The girl says, who took the dollar, one second, you sent me on a shlichus. You sent me to get you a soda. I did my shlichus. I took the dollar, here's your soda. But the extra soda belongs to me. You gave me a dollar for a soda, I brought you back what you asked me to do. But the extra soda belongs to me. But the other one's like, what do you mean extra soda? It's not extra soda. If I wouldn't give you the dollar, it wouldn't have been a soda. Who does the soda belong to? Oh, my class went crazy. Half of them said the guy who gave the dollar. Half of them said, no, I, I, I brought back the Coke. I'm not, I don't have to give you another Coke. It's a big machoikas. Then we had a different story. So when we make a seum, a boy seum, so I bring the soda and I bring the food for the kids. So I bring five bottles of Coke. They pour it out, they pour it out, right? And supposed to, I'm, I want them to throw the bottles in the garbage, not to, not to keep them on the desk. Well, one kid decided that he's going to look under the cap. And he unscrews the cap before he throws it out. And the cap says that he just won ten tickets to a great adventure. Ten free tickets to Great Adventure. He's like, I just want 10 tickets to Great Adventure. I'm like, no, 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 no. I paid for the soda. So the bottle belongs to me. So anything that the bottle wins is mine. What do you mean you won? You would have nothing if I didn't buy the soda. He says, but Rebbe, you would have thrown it out in the garbage. So your das, your, when you said clean up, your das was that all that stuff doesn't belong to me anymore, just get rid of it. But I say, that's very nice, but the bottom line is, had I not bought the soda, so give me ten of those tickets. You get ten, I get ten. He says, I won't give you anything. What's the halacha? So, when, you, when, you, when you're teaching all the Torah, so that you have to look at a case in the Torah that has such a case, that has such a situation, because the Gemara talks about a bar mazel. It was his mazel that the two sodas came out. It wasn't your mazel, it was his mazel. So he deserves, he deserves the extra soda. And many very, very big, big questions like this. It happened to me. I used to give hockey tickets to the, to the students of mine who came to Mishmar. A special Thursday night class, whoever came got hockey tickets once a year. I wasn't going to buy them the expensive tickets. I bought them the 300s, all the way up in Madison Square Garden. I gave my kids, I gave the kids 10 tickets. I didn't even go to the game with them. I just gave them 10 tickets. One of the fathers took them. Well, guess what happened? Guess what happens? No. During the game, there's an announcement. Section 363, row 5, 
seat A, you just won a brand new Ranger, like one of these very expensive, it's like $125 Ranger jackets. The kid was one of the kids that I bought the ticket because they always give it to the 300, to the poor kids, the ones up in the 300 section. He won a Ranger ticket. Came back to the the next day. He said, Rabbi, look at my new jacket. And I was a big Ranger fan. I'm like, no, no, no. That seat was my seat. I bought the ticket. That seat was my seat. So anything that that seat wins belongs to me. You, I gave a seat to watch the game. But the ownership of the seat, and listen carefully, in other words, I own the seat for that night. I paid the rent. I bought the ticket. That's the rent for the seat for the three hours. So I own the seat. I let you sit in the seat that I own. But if it's my seat, because a chutzah is a Kenyan. In other words, if something falls into my backyard, it belongs to me. Chutzah, what's your house? Would you write? It, it belongs to you. If a deer that can't run through, let's say a deer who can't run, he collapses in your backyard. He can't get out. He collapses in your backyard. But luckily, I'm, it's a Kenyan on the back. My chutzah. So I can tell you, you, you have to make a Kenyan. When you buy something, you have to make a Kenyan on it. So let's say... What's a you, you have to make it yours. So there's a few ways of making it yours. One is to lift it. One is to pull it. And one is to put it in my courtyard. So if I... My wife, wants, my wife buys a dress, right? And she calls it up and she, she calls the person and they say, okay, we're going to deliver it. It's a $100 dress. On the way to the store, right? On the way to my house to deliver the dress. Someone sees her in the street carrying the dress. She goes, oh my gosh, that would be perfect for my wedding. I would love such a dress. Um, I'm sorry, S.D. Wallace, I'm delivering it to her. I'll give you 200 How much is she paying? 100 I'll give you 200 this lady like, well, I didn't, I didn't give it to her yet, so it's not really hers. So, could, Rabbi, could I back out and sell it to her for $200? And the answer is yes, because my wife didn't pick it up, my wife didn't lift it, my wife didn't move it, she didn't get it yet. Until she makes a Kenyan, the person who's selling can change her mind. Now, let's say my wife's not home, and the girl comes with the $100 dress, and... She rings the bell, and the maid opens the door, and she puts it in my house, and she hangs it on a hanger in the closet. Okay? And my wife's not home. And all of a sudden, someone calls her and says, I'll give you $500 for that dress. So she's thinking, I'll go run into the house. My wife didn't pick it up. She didn't lift it. She didn't touch it. She doesn't even know it's there yet. Right? The delivery guy, the UPS guy gave it. The UPS guy brought it. Right? The FedEx guy brought it. Nobody touched it yet. My house... This is a chutzer. It's mine. It's considered like she touched it. it a house, a chutzer, my courtyard is a Kenyan. My, my, my house, my backyard, my car, right? My car, you put something in my car, a car is my chutzer, it then belongs to me. You cannot pull it back out and say, well, you didn't touch it yet, it's not yours. So a, a chutzer, it makes a Kenyan. So I'm telling this kid, that chair belongs to me. I let you sit in it. If the chair belongs to me, then anything that that chair wins, it's my chutzah, I get it. So the halacha is, because this is all in Yishalom Midas, the halacha is that when you gave him the seat, right? You gave him the seat. And anything that comes along with that seat, right, is his. So, if he's sitting in that seat, and this is very interesting, because 
This happened to me. If he's sitting in that seat, I bought the seat for $35, whatever it is. I want my boy to go to the sh- I want him to learn. He comes to that. I want to reward him. Bought him the seat. Does he have a right now to sell that ticket to someone else? I bought him a ticket. I'm like, go to the hockey game because you learned well. He gets the ticket. Now, he got the ticket for me for free. I want him to go to the hockey game. Why? As a reward for his learning. He's a smart kid. He's a businessman. It's, it's a hockey. It's a big game. He sells it to another kid in my class for 200 bucks. And he pockets the 200 bucks and he doesn't go to the game. And I'm like, no, 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 no. I gave you the ticket to go to the game. I didn't give you the ticket to make business. Right? But the, but, but if he, if once I give him that ticket, right, to go to the game, it becomes his. He makes a kingdom on it. So if he gets sick, right? If he gets sick, I can't take the ticket away from him and say, well, you're not going to the game, I'm giving it to someone else. He made a king and it's his ticket. If he wants to sell it, he can sell it. And too bad on me. So all these halakhas, my whole class, we're talking about this a whole year. And, and we're making the purple wool, because the purple wool doesn't have a simon. So it, anything that's like that, that doesn't have a simon, you have to return it. You don't have to return it. So you have to make the Torah. You have to make it alive. And I think that's a little bit what we're missing now. And that's why a lot of people feel that it's a subject. Torah is alive. And everything in the Torah... You can take from the past and you can, and you can turn it into the present. So, one of the things that I, I've been speaking about, anyway, so that was my marshal about the car. I think it's a very important marshal that stop looking in the mirror so much. You're gonna crash. Stop looking in the mirror so much. Look, look at your, at that big piece of glass in the front, your windshield. And if you look in your windshield every once in a while, you look in the mirror, you'll, you'll be fine. Okay. So there's, um, there's a mission in the fifth parak that I, I spoke about this past week was the fifth parak in Pirkei Avos. It's a very fascinating mission. And the mission says the following. So in the fifth parak, it talks about uh, different midos that a person has. So a mission of Yud Gimel, it says the following. Arba midos ba'adam. There are four characteristics in a human being. Ha'omer, one person says, Shali, shali. What's mine is mine. Shalcha, shalcha. Whatever is yours, keep it. Whatever is mine is mine. I'm not sharing what I have with you. You don't share what you have with me. Have a nice life, right? So that is that me the bane is. That's a um, uh, mediocre person. I'm not giving you tzedakah, but I don't want any tzedakah from you. So it's like my life is my life, your life is my life, stay out of my life, I stay out of your life, have a good day. So the mission says, Zemi the Bainus, that's a mediocre person. But then the Mishnah says, Yesh Aimrim, but there are some rabbis that say, Zu Midas Sedaim. No, that's not a medium person. That is the worst person in the world. Worse than a Russia, because a Russia can do tshuva, is the Midah of Sedom. Because Sedom, Hashem felt, was such a bad place. I don't know if any of you girls have been in Sedom, but it's hot. It's sandy and nothing can grow. If you pick up the rocks in Sodom and you lick them, they're salty. They're really salty. The whole Dead Sea, the whole Yama Melech, that whole area, Hashem brought down minerals and salt. Plants cannot grow in salt forever. It says in the Torah, forever till today, there's nothing growing in Sodom. You can't. It's the ground has salt. Nothing can grow in salt. So a person who says. Hey, mine's mine, yours is yours. Is worse than a Russia. He's Sadoim. He should be destroyed 
completely. Why? Mine is mine, and yours is yours. I respect yours, you respect me. What's so bad about that? Okay? Then the mission goes further, and the mission says, okay, so that's Abidah Sadaim. Sheli Shalach, Chama, whatever is mine is yours. Shalcha Sheli, but whatever is yours is mine. That makes no sense. In other words, you can have my Chevy, but your, but your, uh, Maserati belongs to me, right? You can have my little house, but your palace belongs to me. So this guy's walking around saying like, listen, you can have everything I have, but everything you have is mine. So the mission says, I'm ours. He's, he's an idiot. He's a fool. Well, <laughs> what kind of life is that? What do you mean? Mine is yours and yours is mine. That's, that doesn't make any sense. Okay. Shali shalach, whatever is mine is yours. Shalchah shalach, and whatever is yours is yours. Mine is yours. Yours is yours. Everything is yours. Ooh. Chassid. Tzadik. I don't want what you have, and whatever I have, you can have. That's a tzadik. What's a Russia? A Russia, the guy who says, Shali, Shali. Whatever is mine is mine. Vishakha Shali. And whatever is yours is mine. Everything is mine. So first of all, Chazal answer this whole Mishnah that is talking about God. So it's talking about God. So the Russia says, Hashem. Everything that's mine is mine. Everything that's yours is also mine. See the Russia. Tzadik says Hashem. Everything that's mine is yours, Hashem. And everything that's yours is yours, Hashem. That's a Tzadik, right? The fool is, Hashem, everything that's mine is yours, but Hashem, everything that's yours is mine. That's a fool. So then the Bainan, he says, Hashem, you keep what you have, but I keep what I have. Does that mean the Bainan is? But according to some rabbis, it's called the Midas Tzadim. So the question here, and what we're going to focus on is, why is what's mine is mine and what's yours is yours worse than what's mine is mine and what's yours is mine? That's for sure worse. If I'm walking around saying, everything that's mine is mine, and everything you guys have is also mine. Everything is mine. It's a Russia. And it says, nothing stands before Teshuvah. A Russia can be a tzaddik. Why is the, why is the, is the, is the, um, Russia, right, next to the Chacham in the Manashtana. The Russia should be at the end, after the Shana Deil show, because it says that the Russia this year is going to be the Tzaddik next year, because he came to the Seder. So Russia can do Tshuva. Ain Dava, right, nothing stands in front of Tshuva. But the person who says, what's mine is mine and what's yours is yours, is Sadaim and can never do Tshuva. What's going on over there? Why is that worse? It doesn't logically make sense. So the terrorist is as follows. We know and this is so important because it comes up to me every single day. Mm-hmm. We know that Abraham Avinu saved Lot, saved the four kings. He saved Sodom, the five kings from the four kings. He saved Sodom's life. So the king of Sodom said to Avram, listen, here's the deal. I'll give you, I'll give you all my money because you saved us, but I keep all the people. Avram said, I don't want your money and I don't want your people. Right? I don't want anything. I'm out of here. I saved you. I'm out of here. So they asked Akasha, why didn't he say to them, I want your people. I want to open yeshiva. In Canaan, right, he made all these goyim, Canaanim, he made them all into Jews. He had a yeshiva. He had a house, right, called, he had a beautiful house where he brought people in. 
Sarimenu, all right? It says, Hanefesh HaSa'asu Bechoram. Sarimenu had a school, Beis Yaakov. She was taking non-Jewish girls and making them holy girls, holy women. So much over here, Abraham Avinu had a chance to tell him, listen, I saved the whole Sodom. Now I want you to come learn in my yeshiva. Or let me open a yeshiva in Sodom. Instead, he turned around and walked away. What happened? Canaan, yes. Sodom, not. And later on, Hashem comes to Abraham Avinu, and it's a very weird discussion they have. Abraham Avinu says, Hashem says, listen, Abraham, I don't want to hide anything from you. I'm going to destroy Sodom. And Abraham Avinu says, but maybe there's five tzaddikim. Abraham, you didn't even want to make yeshiva for these guys. You knew they were evil people. Why are you asking Hashem if there's 50 tzaddikim? Hashem says, no, there's not 50. How about 45? There's not 45. How about 40? No, 30. No, 20. No, 10. No. What's the game? What's the game? Why didn't he ask him right away? Are there 10? 50, 40, 30, 20, 10. Ask him. Are there 10? If that's the number, if 10 is the number that's going to save Sodom, ask 10 right away. Say, are there 10? Hashem would have said, no. Goodbye. 50, 45, 40, 30, 20, 10. What's going on over here? And why didn't Avraham Avinu, when Hashem told him, well, I'm going to destroy them, say, no, 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 don't destroy them, we're going to go down there, we're going to give a shear, we're going to open up our Nava, Teres Nava, we're going, to, we're going to save everybody, we can change the world. Avraham Avinu said, there's not ten, goodbye, destroy it. And the answer is as follows. And I am coming across this so much lately. So the answer is as follows. The Sodomites had a religion. In their religion, they believed that if you gave somebody charity, you were messing with God. God made this person poor. And you have the chutzpah to come by now and give him to eat? You think you're bigger than God? God made him hungry and you're feeding him? Death. You deserve to die. You're not the You are trying to mess with Hashem? You deserve to die. Somebody's sick, and you give them medicine. God wants them to be sick, and you make them better. You're messing with Hashem. Death. They didn't understand Avraham Avinu. They called him Ivri because he was opposite of them. He was on the other side. They said, "Who do you think you are that if there are people starving, you created a hotel to give them to eat? If Hashem wants them to starve and to die, then they should die. Who do you think you are?" So Avraham Avinu was all alone in Sodom. They had a religion. The religion was that if you feed someone or you're a doctor, it's punishable by death. And the poor man who would come to Sodom collecting, if he would dare collect money for tzedakah, they would take him, if he was very tall, put him in a short bed and cut his legs off. If he was very short, they put him in a big bed, pull all his bones out till he died. Why? They said, Mida, Kenegah, Mida. They had a whole Torah. They had a Torah. What's the Mida, Kenegah, Mida? If you're collecting money and you're poor, that means you don't agree with what Hashem made you poor, and you don't agree with it, so you're collecting money. Must mean that you don't agree that He made you tall, so it'll make you short. Must mean that you don't agree that Hashem made you short, so it'll make you tall. And a whole religion based on their belief that you don't mess with God. A girl went out and gave a poor man to eat. They took her. And they smeared her from head to toe with honey. And they put her next to a beehive. And the bees bit her to death, the Medjish says. And when Hashem heard, his, heard, heard her cries, he destroyed Sodom. 
but they did, they cut people's legs off. That wasn't enough because they said, why are we doing this? You want to be sweet. You want to be nice. You want to help a poor man. So you think sweetness gives life? We'll show you that sweetness brings death. We will prove our religion to you. So they smeared her with sweet and all the beasts came and they killed her. So Hashem at this point said, these people will never do tshuva. Because they're averos, they're making into mitzvahs. Once it becomes a mitzvah, right, you don't don't feel bad about it. If they don't feel bad about it, they're never going to do tshuva. So they were murdering, killing, maiming in the name of God. Abraham Avinu knew this. Abraham Avinu said, I can't open a yeshiva for these people because they don't believe they're doing anything wrong. So when he went to Hashem, what he asked Hashem is he said, listen, it seems to be that they have a good svara, that they're killing people because they're messing with God, and they're doing it like ISIS, you know, in the name of God, they're doing it for, for their religion. Hashem, I can't tell, but are there 50 of them that really believe they're doing the right thing? Or they're murderers and rapists and killers and maimers first, and they created a religion to make it right. What came first, the religion or the will to kill and to maim and to rape and to destroy? Abraham Avinu said, I don't know that answer, but you do, Hashem. Are there 50 tzaddikim that really believe that what they're doing is the right thing? Hashem said, no. Are there 40? Are there 30? Are there 20? No. Are there 10 of them that really believe in this religion and they're doing it in the name of God? They're not just a bunch of murderers? Hashem said, no. No, they're murderers and rapists and killers and created a religion in order to make it right. And Roman Reno said, then I cannot help them. And a Baruch who said, just to destroy them is not enough. I have to uproot this evilness, right? Because we know that when you're evil and you live somewhere, it goes into the plants, into the ground. I have to uproot this because if the Russia... If someone does something wrong, so I know I did something wrong, I have a guilty conscience, right? I stole to whatever it is. So even though I'm a Russia, the guilty conscience, maybe I'll do true because I knew I did something. But when I make it right, I'm never gonna, I'm never gonna stop. There's a Medrash Rabbah in Pashabaratius that says, there's a Rashi. Rashi says, why did Hashem destroy the world? Rashi says, because of Gezel. Hamas, Gezel. Because of stealing. What kind of stealing? that every one of them would steal less than a shava pruta. If I go and steal, if I go to a fruit store now, and I take one great, one blueberry out of a box, and I eat that blueberry, I don't have to pay for it. Anything that's worth less than a penny, there's no din, there's no din, like, it doesn't, you're not a robber. If it's worth less than a penny, you're not a robber. You walk over and you steal a tissue, you're not a robber. So what did these chayas do? They took a thousand guys, and they went to the fruit store, and each guy took one grape. So uh, when they get when they walked out, there wasn't a grape left in the store. They stole all these grapes. But each guy individually wasn't chiving your neighbor because it was worth less than a penny. So they had a method to their madness. They were able to do averis, but I'm not chayiv. So they were committing adultery. They were bowing down to idols. They were murdering. Hashem said, I'm not destroying the world because they're doing bad things. They'll do tshuva. But the minute they started this business, of stealing less than a Shabbat and making it right, it's not an Avera, Hashem said, these people are never going to do tshuva. So I'm not going to wait another 500 years. I'm not going to wait another 200 years. 
they're never going to do tshuva. Because they, the big word is, rationalized it. They made it right in their heads. That's the problem today with ISIS. Is ISIS really a religion that they believe that Allah, their God, wants them to rape young girls, kill people, hang them, chop their heads off? Do they really believe? No. They want to murder people. They want to rape women. They want to steal money from people. But you can't just do that. So they made a religion out of it. So they made it that they're going to go to Ganadin when they do that. You can't fight that. They're never going to do tshuva. Because they made it, they're not, their rationalization is, I'm doing a mitzvah, I'm blowing up a bunch of people, I'm chopping their heads off. Allah, I'm going to, I'm going to go to Ganadin. You can't deal with such people. They don't have a guilty conscience. That's Sudan. Says the Mishnah in Pirkei Avos. The Russia, the guy that walks around and says, listen, bottom line is anyone who walks around and says, mine is mine, and anything you have in the Chum is mine also. I know I'm a bad guy. I'm stealing from all of you. Mine is mine, and all your stuff is mine. I'm a bad guy, and I know I'm stealing from you. So you know what? I'll get a little older, I'll do tshuva. But if I'm walking around saying, it's a mitzvah to steal from you. It's a mitzvah, what Hashem wants me to do. You shouldn't have the money because... You don't know how to use it correctly. Once I rationalize and I make it right, I will never do tshuva. So the Mishnah says that a person who walks around saying, mine is mine, and yours is yours, there, me, that's Sadaim. That's what Sadaim said. Sadaim said, if you're sick, that's, I don't, I'm not going to help you. That's your lot in life. You're poor, that's your lot in life. I'm not going to help you. What's mine is mine, what's yours is yours, and I'm not interfering with if you don't have anything. Because it's against Hashem, of course. Abraham Levino was on the other side. No, Hashem built the world for chesed. Hashem built the world to, to help you if you're sick. And he made you sick, so that I, he made poor people, so that the rich people can have a mitzvah to give them. The opposite of what, of what of Al-Sadayim thought. So I am dealing, right, today alone, I am dealing with these girls and boys and men and women that have become atheists. Well, they say that they're atheists. It's nonsense. They say that they're atheists, which of course is nonsense because... What does that mean? What does it mean that you're an atheist? You don't believe in God? Did you study God not to believe in Him? Did you read all the books on God? Did you read the Messiah Sisharim? Did you read Akha Sadiqim? Did you read all the books that are written proofs of God? Did you go to Eshat Torah's website and learn everything they have to learn? Did you learn Rishayinim, Achrayinim? So, to be an atheist means that you studied God and you disproved everything. The people who come to me and tell me they're atheists, they didn't learn one safer, they didn't learn one book. They just won't. So, so the question is, so why are you an atheist? Why are you coming to me, you're a 15, 16 year old girl, and you don't believe in Hashem all of a sudden? What happened? Oh, sure, you want movies. Oh, sure, you want an iPad. Oh, sure, you want to be, you want to do all the things that we're telling you not to do? So you have to get rid of God, because if God's, if God's in the world, then how could you do it? So the question always is, what came first? That's what Avraham Avinu was asking Hashem. What came first? This religion that the Sodomites have? Or that they're a bunch of lowlifes that want to kill and maim and see blood and hurt people? What came first? Hashem said, no, no, no. What came first is they want to hurt people. So they created a religion around it. So when I talk to kids and I'm like, so what came first? You want to do something you're not supposed to? Right? Or your questions on Hashem. Did your questions on Hashem cause you to step out of Yiddishkeit or you stepped out of Yiddishkeit so now you have questions on Hashem of course it's always the same answer you stepped out now you have questions on Hashem you didn't have questions on Hashem before the questions on Hashem didn't make you step out 
and, and that's the, that, that, and, and, and just today alone was like, like, so I told this girl, this girl came to my office, she's an atheist, her friends brought her, she's an atheist, she's a 10th grader in Beshakov. ILOs, we call them ILOs, you know what ILOs are? In Lavush only. It means they get dressed like Beshakov girls, they get dressed like Hasidim, get dressed like from people, but it's only in dress. Inside, nothing. ILO, it's a new, it's a new group, right? In lavush only. Lavush means in your clothing, in your, in your in your mode of dress only, right? So, so this friend she had to bring her. Oh, you know, first of all, they get a lot of attention when they tell their friends that you know, Beisako, that they don't believe in God. So she comes into my office and she sits down and she has a paper with all her questions, all her questions. Why does Hashem create the world? Why does it want to commit suicide? It's your life. All the questions. That's a very that's a trigger question. It's not a good question. Someone asks you that question. Um, and for some reason, I've never met a smiley atheist. Never. Every kid that walks into my office that's an atheist is miserable, miserable with, with like down and, and low self-esteem and in a bad mood. Nobody ever walked in and said, Hey Rabbi Wallstein, how are you? My name's Chada. I'm an atheist. They're like, I'm an atheist. I have questions. I don't really want to be here, but my friends may become. I never met one that's happy. Right? Why? If you're happy, why are you getting rid of Hashem? As long as you're not happy, you have to get rid of Him. Happy people don't get rid of Hashem. Mean people who went through tough times in their life, whatever it is, they, they try to get rid of Hashem. Happy people are like, Hashem, I love Hashem, He's great. You ever meet happy people? I love Hashem. Little kids, they all love Hashem. The whole first grade loves Hashem. Not the whole tenth grade. Whole first grade loves Hashem. You have kids at home, all my grandchildren, they love Hashem. Why do they love Hashem? Because they're happy. Hashem's great. Hashem's here. He's everywhere. He's here. Right? They love Hashem. Right? It's the miserable people. Like, yeah, prove it. Prove that he's around. They're miserable. There are no happy atheists. I was watching, whatever, uh, a video of, uh, of this group, this, this footsteps, and these Hasidic guys that went off the derech, this whole group. You should see how they talk. It's like, this one girl who, I forgot her name, I was just watching her, and she's like, look at my eyes sparkle. She looked so depressed. Look at my eyes sparkle. That's right. I'm going to be a woman rabbi. Okay. As long as you're not a woman male, we'll handle it. <laughs> Don't become a woman male. A woman rabbi we'll deal with. Right? So, they're, they're miserable. So this, they have to, this girl, she comes in with all her questions. I'm like, you're in 10th grade, how long are you, how long have you had questions on Hashem? Since I'm in 6th grade. I'm like, wow. Um, so, did you find any answers? No, I'm coming to you. Sixth grade? To tenth grade? Four years? And now you're coming to me? If you really had a question, you would have knocked down the doors in sixth grade. You don't have a question. I said, I told her, I said, when I was in seventh grade, right? So where I lived, there were butterflies and there were caterpillars. And used to, I asked them, I always ask caterpillars whenever I see them to be me and not to come after me after I'm dead after 120 years. Don't, don't eat me because I used to take a magnifying glass and I used to burn them, you know, as a boy, a little boy. We used to burn everything. Leaves, ants used to pop. It was terrible. Don't ask, right? So we were boys. We did those crazy things. So now I ask them, I don't kill any bugs. I'm like, guys, your ancestors, I really hurt. But like you guys, I'm keeping safe. So like, you know, so I was a kid. We didn't know. But I, caterpillars and butterflies and it bothered me. It bothered me. I don't know why. I was a seventh grader. I'm a hockey player, right? I'm a ball player and a hockey player, a tough guy. 
guys are, you know, seventh graders that are dealing with butterflies, they're not such tough guys. But I was very into butterflies, and I didn't understand why Hashem made a caterpillar turn into a butterfly. It bothered me. Hashem doesn't make a cat turn into a lion, doesn't make a snake turn into a giraffe. Why did he take this little fat caterpillar, and he's got to go in, a got some ice Gotta go to room, he's got a molt, and he's got a chrysalis, and he's got a cocoon. I got some ice, Hashem. Create a butterfly, right? You create a lot of other insects. You create mosquitoes, they don't go through anything, right? Create a butterfly, create a caterpillar. Caterpillars become a butterfly. Didn't make any sense. He ran, he ran, God ran out of time, was like, uh oh, Shabbos. I'm stuck. Okay, caterpillar, you become a butterfly. He didn't run out of time, right? So what's going on over here? And it's, it's very painful for that little caterpillar to turn into a butterfly. It's painful. A butterfly is not a caterpillar with wings. It's a different species. So I went to my Rebbe. See, because when he really bothers you, you ask. So I went to my Rebbe in seventh grade. I said, Rebbe, what's the deal? Why did Hashem do this? Why did Hashem create a caterpillar and make it go through all these steps to become a butterfly? Why just create both of them separately? Like he did every other thing. There's no other thing in the world that goes through a metamorphosis. The tadpole is, is just a frog without legs. But a tadpole and a frog are the same species. It's just a frog growing up. A butterfly and a caterpillar are not the same species. So why did he just create two separate species? So I asked that to my Rebbe. And my Rebbe said to me, you don't ask questions on God. Okay? That's a normal answer. What are you asking? Why Hashem? And you understand why Hashem made grass green and look like that? And you understand everything else? But he did. You understand the constellation, the big dipper, the little dipper. You un- like Wallace, you understand everything else that you decided to ask me the question. You don't ask questions. Of course, you tell me that. I really need to know the answer. <laughs> so we didn't have Google, Schmoogle. We didn't have all that stuff. So I remember going to the school library and they had encyclopedias. And I, I didn't know anything about butterflies in the cocoon and the whole thing. And I looked up butterfly, but the encyclopedia was very small. I remember it like today. So I went to Finkelstein Library in, in the library. I got a library card. Went to Finkelstein Library and got the Encyclopedia Britannica. It was much bigger, with much better pictures. And I read it from end to end. And I went to the library and I said, I want every book on insects and butterflies and caterpillars. Now that's not normal for a seventh grade boy who's a hockey player. That's for sure. I studied it the chrysalis, the butterfly, but I still did not have an understanding why Hashem did it. I just understood all the steps, which made the question stronger. Hashem, had, he didn't just make, turn into a, it's a whole Gansamaisa, right? So why would he have to go through a whole Gansamaisa? Just create it, create it. And the most beautiful insect in the world is the butterfly. So, so just create it, right? And I'll tell you a story I said 10 years ago. Crazy story. But what, so, it bothered me. It really bothered me. So I studied it, and I studied it, and Baruch Hashem, I found that there's a Zayar, and the Zohar says that the parpar, the butterfly, is a proof to Tchiyas HaMesim. The regeneration when we come back to life. Well, from our bones, we're going to come back, God's going to bring us back to life. What happens in a butterfly? So the caterpillar goes into the, into the cocoon, and it, it's, it molts, it molts, it like, it splits open, and it dies. And it's like guts come out, and the whole, what used to be caterpillar, dry, I don't, I don't do this, I always do this after supper. The, it turns into a chrysalis, a powder. No eyes, no antennas, 
no wings, no blood, nothing. Powder. And from that powder, in the cocoon, the butterfly comes. This beautiful insect, with a, sometimes with a wingspan this big, comes from nothing. Says the Zayar that Hashem wanted to create one Bria, one creation in his world, that the human being can look at and understand that from nothing, from bones, from dry bones, can come life. So he created an insect that goes through all this, that ends up becoming a powder. So he says the reason of metamorphosis in a cocoon, of the caterpillar becoming a parpar, zeraya, it's Mason. My Rebbe told me, none of your business. Because he didn't know that, Zaya. But it bothered me. I said, because I didn't want to be an atheist. I was, no, I wasn't looking for an excuse to get out. If I was looking for an excuse to get out, I would have, I would have just said, so, so how come God did this? It's stupid. Goodbye, I'm out. Then you don't have it. That's not a question. That question is your answer, right? You want to get out, so you're using that as an answer to get out. But that's not a question. So I said to this girl, four years you had this list and you never asked anyone? You don't want any answers. This is not about getting answers. For four years you didn't ask? Now you don't want it. You want to get your iPhone. Your parents don't want you to get an iPhone. And you want to watch movies. Your parents don't let you watch movies. And you want to wear your, sh- your skirt short. But basically, oh, now you want answers to the questions. There were never questions. I said there were questions you would have been like me in sixth grade. You would have started opening books. You would have called people. You would have read. You, would have, you wouldn't have given up. When somebody wants, when they do cancer research, they research and they research, they want the answers. They don't just ask, how come this cancer can't be? Okay, and then I don't believe, I don't believe in cancer. No, they, they, they want to know the answer. They, they spend billions and billions of dollars and they sit and they read and they learn and they delve and they work and they write a thesis and they get a master's and they get a doctorate and you work and you work and you work. That's when you really want to know the answers. When you hand a piece of paper because you want to get out, it's not, that's not. So the, the point that I'm trying to make here is what, com- what came first? Your questions? Or your atheism? Your a- in other words, what, really, what really happened? What's really going on over here? You don't have questions. You want out. Why do you want out? A guy, there's a guy. There's something, there's some reason for whatever it is and sometimes it's a painful reason. Sometimes it's a person went through abuse. Where was Hashem when I needed him? There could be many reasons. But you know that there's a Hashem. I have yet to really look in someone's eyes and believe that they didn't believe that there was a creator. Because it doesn't make any sense. How could there not be a creator? Who, who, who created the gases? This one guy wasn't really natural. I said to him, he's like, I was by this, the Shabbaton, whatever it is, and this guy afterwards, he says, I'm an ILO. I'm in Levush only. I don't believe in Hashem. He looks like real. I don't believe in Hashem. I, don't, I said, so what do you believe in? I don't think this guy went through, I don't think he graduated high school, English-wise, right? I said, what do you believe in? Evolution. <laughs> I believe in evolution. I'm like, and what is that? That the world came from gases. I said, oh, so you believe that you're a shtick gas. You're a piece of gas. That's pretty sad. You're a piece of gas walking around the world. Wow. I said, what are you talking about? I said, ee, ee, ee. You know, all these guys, they read online. What, what, you know, I said, what, what, what does that mean? How could you say, how could you be a normal human being? How could you walk into a flower store? This Friday, I was in a flower store. I didn't know what prayer to say to Hashem. I'm at, 
the different colors and shapes and smells. I was like, God, you're not, it's not normal what you created for the human being. How could someone think that this just happened? Because they don't think it just happened. They know there's a creator, but they can't live in the same world as the creator because of the way they're behaving. So they, Shaddaim, who were a bunch of murderers, but they went ahead and they created a religion to make what they were doing right. And that's what Avraham Avinu asked them. And that's what this mission on. Yesh Aimrim, the mission is saying, sometimes, sometimes, it's a vanity. It's like, I live my life, you live your life. But sometimes, it's, it's, a, it's a religion. It's a theory. It's a way of life. My way of life is, I don't help you. It's your problem. Zeh midas When it's a way of life that I don't help anybody, that's a midas And that, Akash Baruch that's worse than a Russia, because that person's walking around... I had this, I told you this story a long time ago. I had this woman that was committing adultery. Committing adultery. One of the three worst averas. She was going to hotels with a guy. She was committing adultery. And she sat in my house. Because the rub asked me to talk to her. She sat in my house and she said, I said, how could you do this? You have a family, you have a husband. Do you know they have vera? Do you know that vera of committing adultery? Do you know what kind of a vera you're causing? Do you understand what this is doing to your soul? And she says to me, Rabbi Wallerstein, I'm telling you, it's not an avera. I said, why can't you tell me it's not an avera? She said, it's from Hashem. I said, adultery is from Hashem? That's right. He is my soulmate. He is my real zivig, not my husband. And he lived three houses away from me. If Hashem didn't want me to be with him, he would have lived out of state. So in her head, not only she wasn't doing an Aveira, this is what Hashem wanted, that's why this guy lived three houses away from her. Because if Hashem didn't want it to happen, he would have lived in another state. I looked at her, I was like... (laughs) I called the Rav. I said, Rabbi, I cannot help you. She will never do tshuva. She thinks she's doing the right thing. Zu midas Now, do I think that she was committing adultery because she thought it was a mitzvah? No. No. She did it because she's a balavera and a baltaiva, whatever reason she did it. But it wasn't to do a mitzvah. But then she's like, how could I have kids? How can I commit adultery? So she had to find a way to make it kosher, to make it into a mitzvah, so that her wouldn't bother her conscience. That's the kayak of the Yetzirah. So what came first? That Hashem, that, that, that this is a mitzvah? No. The adultery came first. The mitzvah, and she had all kinds of questions. She came to me also with questions on Yiddishkeit and why can't you and why can one, a man, according to Jew, a man can have more than one wife and a wife can have more than one man. All of a sudden these questions, I'm like, did you always have these questions? No. Now that she did it, now she has the questions because she has to make it right. Hey, a guy can have more than one wife, so I can have more than one husband. I said, you can have more than one husband, but you gotta divorce the first one first. Hello? <laughs> or kill him. One of the two. But you can't have another husband while you're married. But she already made it kosher. Rationalization is the worst thing that you can do. Because once you rationalize it, there's no way you're going to do tshuva. Because you feel like you're doing the right thing. And it's a very big kayak. The Yitzhahara 
he, not only does he want you to do the Avera, but he wants you to think that you did, you did a good thing. Because if you think you did a good thing, he knows that you never do true. I want to tell you a story. I didn't say this story in a long time. I want to end with this. It happened here. So I was telling the story of the, of the butterfly. And there used to be a Down syndrome girl who used to sit right here in front. She came to all my shirts. I'm talking, I don't know, seven, eight years ago. And I was, telling, I was talking about the butterfly and Arnava and the whole thing. She came over to me after the class. And she said, Ray Wallstein, can I tell you a story? Sure, let's go upstairs. I went down in front of everybody. We'll go upstairs. I don't know what you're going to tell me. Maybe the unbelievable story. You should write a poem about this. So she says to me, she sits down upstairs. I think, what is this kid going to say? She says, Rabbi Wallerstein, did you ever hear the story of the moth? I'm like, no. Can I tell it to you? I'm like, yes. So there was this little girl sitting on a porch with her grandmother. And this big, fat, ugly moth landed right next to her. And she took off her shoe to kill the moth. And her grandmother said, no, no, no. You're never allowed to kill a moth. Put your shoe down. She said, but grandma, moths eat wool. They eat shirts. They eat clothing. What do you mean? She goes, never allowed to kill a moth. Do you know the story of the moth? And the little girl said, no, tell me. So she said, the story of the moth is, when Hashem created the world... Right? He created thousands and thousands of butterflies. Beautiful butterflies with many, many, many colors. And then one day, the whole world sinned. And God destroyed the world. And when he brought it back, he made a promise. I will never destroy the world again. And to show this to the world, I will create an agreement between a bris, between me and them. I will show it through a rainbow. So whenever you see a real rainbow, we make a bracha. Whenever you see a real rainbow, right? Which is most of the time is not the real rainbow of what we see. But whenever you see a real rainbow, that means that God is angry. And he would really destroy the world. But because he made a promise, right? He's not. And that's what the rainbow, that's why we make a bracha on the, on the rainbow. He said, but Rabbi Wallerstein, Hashem didn't have any way to get colors from the rainbow. He already created the world. So he had nowhere to get colors. So he called the butterflies. And he said, butterflies, I need to make a rainbow to show them that I will never destroy them. Could I have your colors? And a bunch of the, what she's telling me, a bunch of the butterflies said, Hashem, you created us with all our beauty. We will give you our colors. And that is the moth. The moth is the butterfly that gave up its colors, Rabbi Wallerstein. I was like, whoa. It's not a medrash. It's not, you're going to find it in a safer. Because after I told that five years ago, people started sending me emails. What medrash? Where's the medrash? I'm like, no, 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 no. I asked this girl. That is the most beautiful story I ever heard of. It's not true. I shouldn't have run out of colors. But where did you get this story from? I don't know. I'm like, come on. Who told you this story? I don't know. Okay, the next week, she came to the shear. After the shear, I went over to her and said, you know that story you told me last week? I, it's, it's, I'm shaking inside from it. Who told you this story? I don't know. I'm like, you don't want to tell me? You don't have to tell me. I don't know. I didn't push her anymore. I'm a thinker. I'm like, nothing in this world happens for no reason. This girl just told me the craziest story. Hashem, what, what, what was she saying to me? 
what she was saying to me is that special needs children gave their colors to someone else don't ever forget that so never hurt the moth have a good yantif everyone and a good shuas you've just experienced another Torah class brought to you by TorahAnytime.com